calling out the myths, misinformation, and BS in the wellness industry. This is the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. Here's your host, holistic pharmacist, supplement expert, Big Mouth, Dr. Neil Smoller. Broadcasting from the most famous small town in the world, Woodstock, New York, it's the podcast pulling back the curtain on the natural products industry. I'm here with Dana. Hi, Dana. Hi. We are just doing our COVID thing, right? We're just Mm -hmm. grinding through it. The store's been open for two weeks. It's been nice, like, seeing everybody pop back in, and everybody's wearing their masks. I do have the Instagram post that we placed where... I think it was something like, after watching how some people wear their masks, I can understand why contraception fails. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a lot of people are getting a kick out of that. We've only had a couple people with their noses out, and I'm like, I, can you do me a favor, cover your nose? I just don't want anybody else freaking out, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, And most people are cool about that. So uh, no complaints on our opening, uh, except there's less Raekwon and Ghostface being played. And mm. I find that to be a problem. That for, is a problem. And I can't wear my joke t-shirts. Like I've got my Camp Anawana t-shirt on right now. I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> the song's running through my head now. <laughs> yes, it was an awesome TV show. Actually, I downloaded the the episodes were on YouTube. Yeah. So I like ripped them down so my kids could watch them. <laughs> I don't let them on YouTube because it's a cancer on society. So, Truth. Um, so yeah, so they've watched them all. They love it. So oh, that's right. sweet. It is very sweet. We, we do a lot of old school TV. Uh, Muppet Babies, you know, I found the same I sent those thing. to my niece, yeah. yeah <laughs> yep, so the, that was really cool. Uh, what's another one? Police Squad. They love that. That's the pre-Naked Gun TV series. Have you oh, ever heard of that? no. Holy crap. It is the funniest TV. There was only six episodes, and people didn't like it at the time. I just think it was too smart. Hmm. Like, it is such smart satire, and like, oh, it's so good. And so, yeah, watch that. And uh, what other old school thing do we watch with the kids? Well, of course, like Monty Python and stuff. They watch that Faulty Towers, uh, but from our our youth, it was mostly Camp Anawana. So, <laughs> very good uh, education uh, in my house. Awesome. Um, so let's talk coronavirus. Anything like piquing your interest in the news? Uh, well, I did not invest- investigate news because you said we were going to do Q&A today. We are doing Q&A today. Uh, let me think if I can remember the headlines. Oh, I know. Okay, so I didn't read this article, but I did see a headline yep. that um, the United States bought up all of whatever that new treatment is that I think starts with a D. Ooh, okay. Uh, I haven't seen this one yet. Go ahead. Yeah, the we um, we basically bought up all the stock that was available, leaving mm-hmm. none available for the rest of the world. Cool. Well, we're going to need it more since we're not doing anything right. <laughs> I mean, that's true, but also, <laughs> you know, India's not doing great. Yeah. Venezuela, Brazil, we know this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is a big botched circus. I posted on our blog this week about how it's really all selfish motivation, you know, just kind of calling a spade a spade. I mm-hmm. thought it was really smart. I came up with the phrase defunding our humanity because I feel like we're reallocating resources in the wrong direction. We're taking Agreed. them, you know, uh, from uh, our care of others and and putting them towards our own selfish needs. So we really need to to, to reverse that. So. Um, the one I wanted to talk about today is the underreporting of COVID deaths. Yes. Uh, we've touched on this a bunch before. I do lots of Facebook posts about this stuff that ends up on all the other sites. There was a JAMA article that basically brought the thunder. Estimation of excess deaths associated with COVID-19 pandemic in the United States, March to May 2020. And the end uh, point is that there was... 
a 28% higher than reported COVID deaths number year over year. So for example, um, if last year 10 people died, this year 13 people died, and not all of them were contributed attributed to COVID. So here, um, basically they're saying about 23,000 people, 24,000 people uh, died either directly to or uh, indirectly related to COVID and their deaths were marked as something else, mm. which stinks, right? Yeah. And the paper had super strong methodology, of course, and and this is the stuff that we need to look at. And, um, you know, a lot of the times they're being reclassified as other things. So the big one that I've been seeing is uh, Texas and Florida are reporting their pneumonia deaths you know their covid deaths are at are pneumonia in their in their books because yeah technically they're di- dying of pneumonia or lung disease but it's because of covid that's really silly it's like uh, yeah you know like uh, i don't know i don't have a good analogy but it's <laughs> it's a pretty dumb thing to do but um well it's political we all know that yeah it seems to be going that way um the florida numbers it's pretty interesting to look how dramatic this is so there's cdc data over like the past 19 years. And if you look at the average of deaths between like February and May, they have on average 972 people die from pneumonia during that period, right? Mm-hmm. In, in those in Florida. Okay. And this year they're reporting 5,900. So literally almost 5,000 oh more. Um, and nobody, well, I mean, a lot of people are looking at it going scratching their heads go, what the heck is going on here? Pneumonia should actually be less this year because people are moving around less. So even mm-hmm. if you took the 972 and said it just should be the 972 as it is every year, that in- there's nothing that would justify that increase except for COVID. And it's very clear that it is COVID related, right? Yeah. We're all staying at home. In Texas, they had 5,300 people that were reported this year, but it's normally 1,200. So you're talking about double or triple the number of deaths and and like, n- no one's really cool with this, but it's going on and it's happening. So, um, you know, my wife and I were saying, it's like, well, everybody will get pissy talking about China. Oh, China's hiding their numbers and Russia's, you know, cooking the books and we're doing it in our states here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then the argument is that we're overestimating the numbers, right? So a lot of people are out there saying, oh, you're, you're, your numbers are, are way higher and the, and the death rate in general is going down. And it's like, we have, first off, no, the death rate isn't going down. If you take New York out of it and stop cooking the books, you'll see a very different picture of deaths uh, increasing pretty dramatically. It's it's batty to me. We, we should, as a universal group, be saying, we want transparency. We want accountability. This is nonsense. We want to know exactly what's going on. Why are things being hidden? And like you said, Selfish reasons, you know, political uh, gain, power, elections, economy, all of the financial stuff. It stinks. So uh, I'm really tired of all of that. All of the lion. All of the lion. <laughs> yeah, I I keep saying it, but I'm just like weary to the bone with all of this. I mean, I've been spending my weeks. I'm still furloughed from my other job. Oh, yeah. So now I'm posting on Facebook about Black Lives Matter. Like, that's my job. Okay. Yeah. Arguing I mean, with people. We need it. Yeah. It's, uh, I just, um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to need to take a break soon because at this point, all I'm seeing is corruption everywhere. And mm-hmm. it's really, really 
like it's starting to affect my overall outlook, which I was fighting against it because I'm like, I'm fighting the good fight, yeah. standing up for what's right. But it's really starting to take a toll on me at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think as long as you keep in mind that a lot of the stuff that's reported, no matter what, is really just a distraction um, from the core issues. So, you know, the corruption, like you're right, you're talking to the heart of what's going on. There's a, a very strong level of corruption and misinformation that obviously hits our industry, but it hits every industry. And it's like, that's the problem, you know, and we fight amongst each other with, you know, the silly, um, all lives matter nonsense. And like all, all the crap that's like contrary to like our good fight. Like here's a great example. There's a, a movement now along this black lives matter stuff that, you know, actors are saying that they regret doing, uh, racial humor, racial jokes. The the dude that's a producer on Family Guy that did voice Cleveland for 20 yeah. years, he stepped down. And it's just weird. You know, Bill Burr is like, well, whatever happened to acting? And, and so individuals making their decisions to, you know, whatever they want to do, that's fine, you know. But the corporate stuff, it's it's all distracting from, you know, it allows us to then spend all of our time debating that thing instead of addressing the problem, which is, Black people are getting murdered in the streets, right? Uh, and unjustifiably so. And they want reform and uh, we should all want reform. So, um, so yeah. So just make sure that when you're out there engaging in social media that you're, uh, you're remembering the bigger picture that, you know, social media is nonsense. Listen to our other podcasts about that. Um, it's, you know, I've been trying to actively put wholesome stuff up and being positive, even in the negative stuff that I'm putting up just because like it really needs it. We, we really, really need some more positivity out there, um, to help people because people just get sucked down these. I know. Well, I, I even said on like a few episodes ago, like, don't let mental exhaustion, you know, wear down your resolve. And right. I'm just trying to remind myself that. And also at this point I'm having to pick my battles. I mean, I was arguing with one woman today who <laughs> thinks that women should just be barefoot and pregnant and wear everything that's wrong with the world. And I was like, you know, you're a chick, right? Yeah. I want to be barefoot and pregnant. I, I don't know, man. Like I think that, uh, no lives matter. I think that we all suck <laughs> <laughs> and we're just fungus on a rock floating through space. And so if that's true, then why should the fungus with slightly darker, uh, uh, complexion and, or funguses that have different uh, chromosomes be treated any different. Let's just make everybody like enjoy the floating through space as much <laughs> yeah. as possible and stop all the nonsense, right? Uh, whatever. Um, so let's keep talking about COVID. So, yes, back to that. So the uh, here's my, my thing is like, why does anybody want to go to a restaurant? If somebody could email me, podcast at woodstockvitamins.com. Why do you want to go to a restaurant? Yes, like, seriously. We don't have to anymore. They've got takeout. You, you call them, you pick it up, and people are like, oh, the staff downstairs. Oh, it's soggy. I'm like, what kind of crap? Are you, like, are you ordering it two hours in advance? Yeah. <laughs> I've had the crispiest chicken. I've, you know, it's been great. Um, I have no rush to go back to any restaurants. And I, see, I see open-air restaurants and stuff like, you know, Yum Yum here in Woodstock, a very popular spot you mm -hmm. should definitely check out. And everybody's there, but they're, they don't have their masks on. Now they're outside in their space, so I'm cool with it, but it's like, eh, like I'm not cool with it. Um, That's how I feel. Like, you're, you're still, you're, you're just still within too close proximity, and especially with, you know, like, 
say, a place like Yum Yum, that's very easy to take out. Mm -hmm. I think the only thing that has ever disappointed me is trying to get French fries home in time. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very disappointing event, too, I'd imagine. Like, I haven't had a French fry in ages, it feels like. I feel like I'm aging like Bilbo due to my... (laughs) Um, No, I feel you. I actually, because I I wilded out this past weekend, Mm -hmm. I I couldn't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the French fries were really disappointing. I was like, this is kind of the only part of the meal that I wanted. (laughs) Right. And uh, I had to stick them in the toaster oven for like 20 minutes. (laughs) But it's, here's the thing. If you look at cases globally and like something like Croatia, where they have very small case numbers, like a hundred a day or something like that, but they're in their second wave now and Mm. they're completely blaming high risk situations, which are these dining situations. It's either bars, restaurants, and or like concerts or, or clubs. And that's crazy to me, yeah. you know, like New Zealand has got the place zoned off and everybody's, uh, you know, doing their thing there. Uh, so they can go back to all of that, but that's a completely different situation because they're like devoid of cases where everybody else, if there's any cases, like it's just a high risk experience, which brings me to my point, schools, mm. uh, we're going to get some sort of word in the next day or two on schools, but Cuomo just a few days ago, uh, since our last episode was like, it's going to be tough. The cases are surging. We're in New York here. We're literally on an Island. Like before it was like an Island of death, uh, where like nobody wanted to come into yeah. and now everybody's trying to get into it. And we're like trying to like keep everybody at bay. We're being invaded potentially, um, by uh, this, people in Saugerties are upset. Because, I was just going to yeah, say, yeah, the equestrians the, flocking like to horse, Saugerties. There's a horse race business in town that is very much responsible for basically Saugerties turnaround, you know, mm. and um, they want to do their horse races. And it's like, can you just wait like a year? Yeah. And just, or maybe even do the fall one. But, you know, all these people from out of states and literally everywhere else is surging and they're all coming in. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing because all of the work we've done would be made null and void. This is the group project from hell. Mm. This is the kids on the playground that screw up. So then we don't get to have recess and, and it sucks. And all we're asking for is everybody just like chill for a bit and like get some control over this. But you know, Texas, Arizona, uh, bars, restaurants, and now we see what's happened. They opened up too quick and they, you know, turn their nose up at the science and now they're surging and now they have to roll, they have to close down and who wants to do that again? I certainly do not. So, I mean, the, I want another headline again that I did not read further on is just this morning was somebody from, I think WHO mm-hmm. that said that the United States has reached a point of viral load, like general viral load that we just cannot contain it anymore. It is now beyond us. Right. There's teenagers having infections party, infection parties. And you know, whoever gets infected first, whoever shows the first symptoms wins the money that you have to pay to, you know, show up to. And I just, it's like, it's making my head explode. (laughs) What the hell is wrong with everyone? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we get Brazil, we get Venezuela, we get India, you know, I get it. Um, but the United States, it's, it's really unfortunate that this is where we are. So, so we are one of four states that could potentially contain the virus. The United States as a whole cannot, it seems. So we're going to be at a hundred thousand cases a day. And if you use the estimate that we're underreported by 10, which was a report not too long ago, 
that means there's a million cases a day, really. So that means that there's at least 300 more days of this before we <laughs> reach critical mass. Um, or if you use the two and a half number, which a lot of people are doing, it's still a long, long haul here. So we're going to be wearing those masks for a long time. So, mm. all right, let's talk about my fatty belly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So 243 was my starting weight. Well, 243 and a half. Mm -hmm. And so I projected a one and a half pound per week weight loss. So that put me at about November 16th if I wanted to get down to like 210, right? Um, so week three, I was at 234, which is about nine pounds total or three pounds a week. So if we go by that rate, if I keep that up, we'll be at August 24th. It would be really, really sweet if I hit my target goal before my birthday. My 40th birthday is at the end of September. Oh, my God. Which would normally be we were going to have a big party, but that's not going to happen anymore. Um, so that's the goal here. I would say, and this is, you know, the, the part of me sharing all of this is to help people address some of the problems. Uh, you know, I saw this thing on Reddit. It was talking about how there is now a urine test that can speak to the the ideal diet for a person. I haven't oh. looked at it at all. And we've heard of this before in like these silly diagnostic tests we've talked about on that show. Yeah. We've covered in the in the blog. And the thing about those tests is that they don't really tell you anything. This potentially could, but you know, I and the commenters thought like we don't need the urine test to tell us not to eat the whole box of Girl Scout cookies. Right. You know, <laughs> it's not that we don't know what to do. We know what looks healthy. Sometimes we get too into the mucky muck, and that's where the structure that we put out with like the dietary Jenga uh, article that we uh, published. Uh, that helps out saying like, first focus on just general rules of, of diet. Then we can talk about your timing and then we can talk about the quality of your food. And then we can start to nerd out at the top. If you want to get really, really into the, the nitty gritty. But the problem is most people that come to see me, they think that nerding out and getting into the nitty gritty is healthy. And that's not true. So with this, like we know what to do. Most people will say that I know what to do. And Really, it's just this mental game. So kind of wrapping my head around this, I think last week we touched on a couple of the thoughts that were coming to my head over and over and over again. And like one of them is like, I should eat, you know? And it's normally like boredom or stress, you know, right. like, oh, I should eat now. Like now I'm getting a little hungry right now. I had my lunch about two hours ago now and I'm getting a little hungry. So it'd be time for a little snack. Uh, but, you know, in between, I'm like, mm, I should eat a little bit more, right? Uh, the other thing I saw, like dinner, this happened last night. It's like, Aaron made this awesome steak. I don't know where the heck it came from. And uh, I was, it tastes so good. I'm like, I want more. <laughs> and I didn't need to. I was full. And, you know, what I've been trying to do is just be okay. You know, if I'm going to eat a little bit heavier, it's going to be because I've just had lots of vegetables or a salad. So, um, you know, I just had a salad for lunch. So I definitely ate where I felt full, where normally I'll just eat till I'm, you know, I'm like, good. I'm like, okay, there, there, there's the right amount of food. Right. And this time I ate like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, I, I hit it, but it's salad. So like, who cares? You know, like uh, in my eyes, like if that's what I'm getting full on, I'm okay. Right. Mm. Um, the other thing that I've been noticing is like my inclination is eat until I'm grossly full. So not only do I want to get full instead of just, nah, I'm okay with food. I want to like overdo it. And it just reminds me, Louis CK said this during one of his bits. He's like, I don't eat until I'm satiated. I eat until I hate myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> and, uh, so I feel that way. I feel like I have a push to do that. I will say that I have no desire for junk food, which 
hopefully would shock everybody since I talk about M&M's so frequently. It does shock me. Yeah. Um, I have no desire. So there's been brownies in my house, uh, chocolate chip cookies made by my mother-in-law, which are normally pretty good. Not as good as Aaron's, but they're pretty good. And Ben and Jerry's ice cream is a constant source of food here. And I'm looking at them and I'm just like, you know, that's just going to derail my progress. Even like my, my oh, like I'm going to have uh, a cheat day once a month where I go nuts. And I'm like, I don't want to do that because then that means I got to like jog to make up for it. And I don't want to do that. Um, so this is actually where my head was at, like right when I met Aaron and because I was at the skinniest I'd ever been. And I just hated junk food because it just added more work to my plate. And I think I'm going to, me being lazy, hopefully will help me with this whole process. Um, another example, like junk food and why it's not worth it. So we had pizza for the first time in four weeks, uh, Saturday. And, you know, so a slice of pizza is 400 calories and that's pretty much what I would eat for a meal. That's what I was trying to get to. Right. So I eat a piece of pizza and I'm like, Oh, is that it? Like, that is exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Like it's so calorie dense all the bad calories and so not filling at all at all. And, and it's scratching every dopamine receptor or that sweetness where you're like, yeah, oh, I'm God, twitching yeah. out. I'm like, I got to have more pizza. <laughs> and so, you know, I had to pound like three waters. Like I, I, I fill up one of these like 20 ounces. Uh, yeah. 600 cc's. Yeah. So yeah. 20 ounces of liquid. I had like three of these damn things just to make sure. And I was full. And, uh, so I'm like, yeah, this isn't worth it. I would much rather have meat and a bunch of other stuff, you know, like a piece of pork and a ton of vegetables is about the same amount of calories. So, um, I'd much rather do that. Right. And so, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm essentially undoing about 17 years of bad programming and I'm trying to do it in a manner that is forever because just like with managing stress and anxiety uh, through my work with like Dr. Dresdale and the mindfulness and meditation aspect, hopefully that's a change that's permanent. So like, you know, I'm going to be anxious over the years and things are going to change, but at least I now have a, a, a system to deal with them. I'm, I'm looking at it through like clearer glasses, I guess. Uh, and the same thing with the food is like, Jesus, this, you know, I'm, I am definitely eating for a 240 pound dude, you know, if not a 280 pound dude, and I'm just kind of topping out at 240. And so if I, if I'm supposed to be like, my weight should be around 195. Uh, so like, that means I have like 45 pounds still left to lose. Like, look at me. Do you think I have 45 pounds left to lose? I, no. I could see about 30, you know, just in my man boobs. But besides that, <laughs> like it's, it's a lot. So like, you know, just changing, eating for that other person instead of eating like the ass, the other way, you know? And, you know, it's not even just 17 years. It's pretty much 35 years with like interruptions <laughs> when I was a teenager and when I was in college to eat better. Right. So mm. it's a, it's a long It's a long stretch and it is entirely a mental game. So if you're out there, you're listening. When we talk about the wellness pyramid, we talk about dealing with stress and anxiety and nutrition and nutrition and mental health go like hand in hand. So you really have to, you have to be careful of all that stuff, man. Just don't, uh, don't, don't, don't give up. Just keep, keep grinding it out there. So. I think that I am not going to be, once everybody hears this, I'm not going to be the only one who was distracted by you saying that you are consistently losing upwards of three pounds a week. How mm-hmm. is that possible without diet pills? Yeah. So, um, because, eh, you know, I don't know, like I definitely, so when we lose weight, we want to make sure it's safe and healthy. And, um, so two pounds really should be the max. I think that I had a big jump because I radically cut out carbs. Like I, I rarely have a 
carb, like a simple carb. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there was probably the three to four pound hit that was just from my my water weight source. So if I ate some French fries, I probably would put that right back on, you know? And, um, so I probably I'm attributing it to that. And, you know, my caloric deficit is one thing, but then my energy needs. So I can totally see like, and that's where my head is at is if I'm a 205 pound guy, what calories should I be eating? And I start to stress out and go, I don't want to count my calories for the rest of my life. But then I say, I have to, we talked about the least car. We have to track our mileage. I'm the kind of guy that needs to be regimented way more than I am. So, so looking at that, when the dust settles, my calories will actually be much higher than what I'm eating now. So Mm -hmm. my maintenance weight, even for 205 is going to be probably almost like a meal and a half worth. So, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of skimming it a little bit tighter plus the low carb. So that's how I'm getting to the three pounds a week, Gotcha. but I'm sure like, you know, it's what it's really, it's about 0.4 pounds a day is probably where I'm at. So that's about the two, two and a half range. So a little bit aggressive, but I'm also making sure that all my T's are crossed macros are met. So I'm doing, I'll tell you, there was a time when I was working out, uh, cause I, my cholesterol was really high when I went for a physical, I was like, um, Oh gosh, I, I think I was like 34-ish and yep. it was the first time that my cholesterol was dangerously high because it had always been a little high. So I started, um, same thing as you did, cut out, you know, so many carbs, was just really paying attention to everything I put in my mouth. I was exercising twice a day, yes. before work and after work, mm-hmm. and I still couldn't lose more than two pounds a week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was Which still- Which is still awesome. I, still awesome, but it was so much work- and I was actually like starting to like my sleep was starting to suffer because where I was working at the time I had to be there at seven a.m. Mm-hmm. So I was getting up at like four in the morning, which yeah. is really opposite of my like circadian yeah. rhythm. Right, just trying to get this workout in for like twenty five minutes before I had to get ready for work, and uh, I, it was absolutely unsustainable. I did you know over a course of I think it was six months, I brought my cholesterol down fifty six points, so it was certainly worth it for real. But once I had that follow-up physical, I was like, all right, that's it. I'm done with that morning workout. The hell with that. Right. And, um, and then immediately weight loss completely stopped. Like I just, you know, I leveled off and my blood work, then another following um, physical, like another six months later was still good. Mm-hmm. But in that whole time, maintaining, working out uh, four days a week, eating yeah. clean, mm-hmm. just didn't lose any more weight. So, mm. you know, I'm. And, and I was younger than you at the time, obviously. Right. And I think it really, really comes down to being so regimented about your calories, you know, and like my personal trainer right now, he's a very regimented dude. Like he's measuring out like grams of strawberries and stuff like that. Oh, like, geez. And like, so, but I mean, he's going for a very specific thing. Yeah. He's, his physique is insane, you know, for you know what it is. And that's what he wants. I just want to make sure that I'm, I don't get caught into the the cycle of just overdoing it and, and then just letting go, you know? Yeah. So for me, it's like, it, it's that. So yeah, it, it gets frustrating at times. And, and there are periods where I'll probably not lose weight, you know, and, and whatever the reason is. So I think going back to it, the perspective needs to be the longer term. Am I healthier? And that for me is really, really redefining what I consider appropriate. And like I said, it's a mental game. It is not appropriate to eat a dessert once a day. It's not appropriate to eat a dessert twice a day as I was doing before. <laughs> it's not appropriate to have so much 
food that you're like, oh, I'm done, you know, like that's not cool. And uh, I'm addicted to girly drinks too. Like I don't, I don't, I, I drink. That uh, is not a surprise at all. <laughs> I know I, I drink mostly mixed drinks, not the fruity stuff, I swear, but um, <laughs> mixed drinks. And so, you know, Moscow mules are filled with sugar and rum and Cokes and all that stuff. So, um, you know, it's about kind of bringing all of that in. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is. So, mm, wow. all right. Let's move on. I had a customer question that I wanted to touch on. So this is a good one, actually. So the person said, why am I reading that magnesium stearate and magnesium silicate are dangerous? They're found in almost every supplement that I find, but most people tell me to avoid them. Have you heard of that? I have not. I've, I've only heard of those supplements, but not that they're those bad for you. Those ingredients, yeah, yeah. Yeah, magnesium stearate, stearic acid, magnesium silicate, which is talc, okay, um, and there's a lot of conversation constantly about inert ingredients and that definitely deserves my attention. Someday I'm going to make a nice little ebook or something about inert ingredients. Mm -hmm. And so my answer to this person was first and foremost marketing. Cause he was asking, why am I reading that these things are dangerous? And I believe it's marketing. I think that people are first and foremost in the supplement industry trying to promote their product over the 75,000 other products that are out there. So if you take anything that could be mildly controversial, you can use it as an advantage in your product. Okay. Um, be, and the reason that I say and think like that is because I understand like inert ingredients a little bit more than a lay person or a marketing person would. Um, you know, we, there's going to be these types of compounds in everything that we come in contact with and, you know, micromanaging them or, or getting really hyped up about a few individual ones without really considering the entire picture. It's kind of hypocritical to be quite honest with you. Now, of course there's yeah dirty stuff that goes on, um, in the supplement industry. I think, you know, go, let, let's turn this into dietary Jenga where I say, oh, let's start, stop jumbling everything together and let's kind of pull it apart. So if you're taking a supplement and you're worried about the stearic acid concentration, but you're not paying attention to the heavy metal contamination, pesticides, herbicides, the potential adulterants that are in there, the history of the company, any of that other more important stuff. So I think what stearic acid and these other inert, any just like inert ingredient du jour, whatever it ends up being is the devil today. Let's put that at the top. That should be the absolute top thing that we care about is like, you know, those kinds of things. And at the bottom is these more devious, more harmful compounds. You know, like, I think that makes sense, right? Like mm -hmm. focusing on what really matters. So if we've done that and, and we really are sure that we are doing that and including in the rest of our lives, like where do we get stearic acid. Well, it's a part of vegetables. And so there, you're going to be getting it when you eat stuff, you know? So then we have to really look at these claims. Are these claims being made and is there justification for it? So when you look at the sciences around a lot of this, most of the stuff will say, you know, considered safe, you know, there's lots of studies and not just United States. And if you like the FDA or not or whatever, but then the European union has them and other third world countries, not third world countries, other developed nations will have lots of, uh, information about these inert ingredients. They've all done their own research and compiling of the data. So in general, what we find with these kinds of things is they're considered safe. And mm -hmm. because we don't have the ability to really like just 
test the one thing over a long period of time. We could do short-term studies. Is it toxic? Is it going to harm your body? We even have like with magnesium stearate um, genetic testing. We know it's not going to change your genes, right? It's not going to harm you in that way. But you know, is it going to contribute to long-term health concerns? Well, that's really, really difficult because then you'd have to control. You'd literally have to say this person has no magnesium stearate in their diet and this person does and then test them for 10 years. Like we can't even get people <laughs> to do eggs for like a year, right? Yeah. And get good data. So it's really difficult. So when we say these things are considered safe, it's because, you know, to be honest with you, we can't make that conclusion. We can't tell that full story, as James Heather said on the podcast here. Um, so we have to go with that. And um, and so it's I think it's that little gap there that a lot of these people are kind of exploiting. Oh, you know, the you know, it's only considered safe. It's not really safe. Mm-hmm. So then you have to look at, okay, so what's the what's the threshold? What's the number? And something like magnesium stearate, I think it's like twenty five hundred milligrams per day or some insanely large number like grams of this stuff um i'd have to look again i'm sorry i I, I had this stat but i didn't write it down obviously and um but it's a it's a much larger number than the few milligrams that would be found in any single dose and even if you took 30 pills a day you're probably going to get to about a tenth you know if that of the the total daily dose you know when we would put um, silica is another example because there's there's this magnesium silicate and then there's silica silicone Dioxide, basically. Okay. Uh, take that out. So then there's silica. Silica was actually something that we used a lot when we would compound capsules. Because when you're making capsules, the powders, like, they have little charges and they get static electricity. So you add the silica to it and it actually kills all of that. So then it allows it to flow better. So then you can make the capsules better. So you can hmm. add silica. Now, how much do you need? Very, very small amounts, like super small amounts, like less than three milligrams per capsule. If, if that, I think it's, I think it's, you know, super small numbers. It's been a while. Don't quote me, right. but it's super small numbers where it, even if you ate the whole bottle, you still wouldn't be getting anywhere near a quarter of what the, you know, max would be. And, uh, and some of the dangers associated with some of these inert ingredients don't come from ingestion. It comes from like inhalation or like topical application. So unless you're breaking and snorting these things, you're not going to have that much of a problem with them. Oh, I actually found the number. I did write it down. Oh, look it's at you. 2,500 milligrams per kilogram per day. So I'm 100 kilograms. So 2,500 times 100, right? So that's a big number. I can't do math very quickly in my head to get to the 250,000 milligrams, but that's a lot, right? So, um, uh, so I, yeah. I also computed a very big number. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, you're going to need to swallow like, you know, 40,000 of those pills or something like that, some some insane number in order to get the the dose that's too high. So, um, so so when it comes to these inert ingredients, that's the stuff that we should be considering. Is like, what's the agenda? What's the truth? Is there bigger fish to fry? And uh, and like, what is the safe level? And so the only one that is weird is this magnesium silicate, which is talc. That's a completely different animal. There, I, I don't even think it's being used much anymore, but you know, it's found in supplements, um, but it's much different than the high doses. So talc powder, talcum powder, you've heard about all of this oh, stuff. Yeah. yeah. So if you apply it near your genitalia, you can get cancer. Like uh, there was, dude, the, our whole audience has heard my search for deodorant that doesn't have talc and oh, aluminum that's right. in it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I completely blocked that story out. I don't know why. It's uh, the, <laughs> a lot of people don't listen to me. <laughs> there was, uh, but literally women won 740 700 million, 40 million, 400 million dollar lawsuits for this 
stuff, which is crazy. So, um, so talc is different, but again, it's the topical usage of it. It's inhaled. That's a real problem. Um, but, but I don't believe that it's an, it's a different animal when you ingest it. And so, so that's just my, my one, two punch there on the magnesium silicate. Cause I do think it's uh, important that people kind of cut through that nonsense. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that kind of information when you don't really have a base knowledge to, to understand it from is important to, to figure out, you know, like, because I would have jumped to the same conclusion. Why is there talc in my supplement? Right. When, you know, Johnson and Johnson has been sued for that, you know, what, what did it add up to billions over yeah. it? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's definitely an important distinction to make. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about joint health. It's been coming up a lot in the store lately. I don't know why, I don't know if it's like everybody's been in their house lounging and then all of a sudden now they're getting outside because they can and they're like, Oh, my joints are aching, but it's been coming up a lot and I wanted to talk about it. So, and this conversation overlaps, actually it overlaps too much with inflammation. Uh, it should only overlap slightly, you know, mm. just a slight overlap. Um, but we, and we shared the webinar in one of the past episodes about inflammation, my general, uh, opinion on that. And I think what we need to do is just, again, like we talked about earlier with jumbled perceptions, we just need to separate everything out a little bit. So, so first and foremost, when we talk about my, I have joint health, right? So I want to know more about the scenario. So is this, I have achy joints all over, or I have a trick knee that I've had for 25 years. And like, now it's a bad knee kind of a thing, right? Is it one joint? Is it what's the backstory? You know, uh, was there an injury? Like, you know, are you lopsided? Your one hip, one leg is longer than the other. Um, is there some sort of physical problem, trauma injury in your past that's causing that, that joint? Because that's different than like somebody that has like this just general achiness all over all their joints. And when we're talking about this, any one of those two things should be discussed with a professional. So um, we actually had a, a question on the pharmacist group the other day. Um, we have somebody who has a history of prostate cancer. He wants to take something naturally for uh, to increase his testosterone levels. What supplement can I recommend? And I said, I recommend, because uh, he wants to go to a chiropractor to get the information. I would say, you, the chiropractor, me, uh, none of us are qualified to talk about this. <laughs> he shouldn't be talking to any of us about this, right? Yeah. So we need to really talk to an expert because there's a lot of stuff that we need to look at, underlying problems that we have to consider. And you just at least keep your doctor in the loop about any of these problems. So wouldn't that be HGH anyway? HGH? Human growth hormone? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you could totally do that. I saw a picture of a 70-year-old dude that was like shredded and everybody's like, oh, wow, look at that grandfather. Everybody's like, he's on... Yeah. gear. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's on stuff. That's not what we look like when we're 70. I would just like to make it to 70. That would be great. That would be a good goal to accomplish, right? Yeah, sure. Um, you're so, halfway there. <laughs> one of the things that a lot of people say when they deal primarily in the wellness space is they say, I don't want to go to my doctor. It's a pain in the butt. The doctor doesn't listen. And I agree. Uh, doctors are tough these days because it's not like the old days with Dr. Risman as we had on the podcast, but it's, it's, it's much different. So if you can go to your doctor with all of the boxes checked that of the stuff that you should do anyway. So if here's a great example, I went to a doctor, I'm like, ah, oh, my, uh, my eyes are itching and my face is all red. And he's like, well, you have allergies. So take allergy medicine and take eye drops and then come back and see me. And I'm like, oh man, I just wasted the six months to get in to see you where I could have been doing all of that basic stuff myself. So, so check off all the boxes before you get to the doctor. And he's like, Hey, you should probably stop eating French fries, you know, right. that kind of a thing, even if they're soggy or not. Right. Um, so 
So it, it just makes it easier for the doctors just do all the stuff first and, uh, or at least before you like directly before you go in to see them. So that way they know where you're at with the whole thing. So, so let's talk about inflammation. Let's bring that in. So it's the same kind of consideration as is with joints. So there's the inflammation that's happening due to some sort of acute problem or direct injury. If we're talking about joint health. So like if your tissues heavy use, right, your knees and you're 90, right. And, or you get injured or re-injured, then you're going to have this inflammation process in that specific area that turns into what's called chronic inflammation, which is just basically a hot mess. My analogy is it's like you're trying to grow strawberries in a field, except there's a bomb going, there's like a war going on. Yeah. So how do you grow anything without first stopping the war and then, you know, remaking the environment clean again? Um, so, so that's chronic inflammation and that's a hot mess, but that's different than this concept of like your total inflammatory picture. And people, again, they jumble all that together. I need something for inflammation. I need something for joint pain. Well, we need to kind of like separate all these concepts out. So your general inflammatory picture is basically like you're eating like I used to, right? And mm -hmm. you don't sleep and you're, you're going to have higher inflammation. You're going to have a higher oxidative set up in your body, right? Then somebody that's making healthier choices. And so the important point here is that general inflammation, if it's high, will make a local problem like a joint pain or an injury worse, right? Mm -hmm. And the second really, really important point is that no supplement's going to overpower any unhealthy decisions. Right. This is the analogy of the morbidly obese person that comes to the pharmacy to get resveratrol for inflammation. And so adipose tissue itself will pose greater inflammatory risk than any potential benefit of red wine or the active component in it. So, um, so what we need to do uh, is we have to first and foremost reduce our unhealthy habits and those risks. So like me, high blood pressure, that's a potential risk factor that makes all this stuff uglier. High cholesterol, that increases your inflammatory picture. Uncontrolled blood sugar, that's a big problem. Weight, again, fat tissue itself produces more inflammatory compounds, your diet. So no Boswellia dose is going to overpower any of that stuff. It's just putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. Um, so in order to manage our joint health, we have to manage the total inflammatory picture and then address the localized uh, injury. Okay. So, uh, when we have joint problems, again, this is what ends up happening. This is the conversation. They come in and I'm like, Oh, I got joint pain and I want something for just general inflammation. Like you're not going to ginger this away, you know, see, you know, that's not going to help. So, all right. So we use the model for true holistic care, the wellness pyramid with a supplement quality standard, right? So the wellness pyramid says at the bottom, we have to deal with nutrition, stress, exercise, environment, and sleep. These are the things that we need to do. And there are lots of foods that can contribute to your inflammatory picture being unhealthy. Fried foods, things with MSG, deli meats, um, trans fats, all of the gross stuff that we know. You know, So bread, wheat, pasta, uh, all of that stuff has to get cut out of our diets. And we need to eat anti-inflammatory foods. Instead, the greens, reds, blues, fatty fish, all that healthy, good stuff. Um, Stretching and exercise is important because there's types of exercise that help with inflammation. If you just do moderate, uh, low intensity exercise and you're not doing like the heavy joint stuff like jogging versus the elliptical, those are, those are good exercises, but like marathon runners will actually have a higher inflammatory picture. So that actually might make it worse. So you don't want to go from couch to five 
marathons. You want to go couch to five k. <laughs> yeah, you want to go. That's what I'm saying. It's like you want to go couch yeah. to five k, not couch to five marathons. Oh, that. I. It gotcha. was a joke. That's that's what I was trying for. I don't so know. funny. Yeah, I don't know sports, so that's, that's part <laughs> of the problem. Um, so once we've stretching is another important thing. Remember that we're when you have joint pain, we want to support the joint, especially the big joints like hips and knees. We want to make sure that the muscles around the joints uh, are healthy. Uh, they're good. They're strong. So dips and lunge, uh, squats and lunges are my favorite exercises on the planet for that reason. It really helps out with your gait and you know, it's, it's just fun to do. You know, you're just kind of squatting down. It's great. Like I hate lunges. Lunges are the worst thing that is. I was been totally just thinking that mm-hmm. I feel like I can never get my form right. Mm-hmm. And the only time I feel comfortable doing a lunge is if I'm in front of a full length mirror so I can monitor what I'm right. You know, so I can monitor my form because I, otherwise I'm like, are, are my, um, you know, are my hips properly positioned? Am mm-hmm. I stepping f- like far enough forward? Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to hit the ground with my back knee. So am I making it down far enough to be effective? All right. this stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's just not a single length mirror in, or a single <laughs> full length mirror in my house and God forbid I should buy one. So right. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't do them. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. My guy makes me do lunge laps occasionally, oh, which is nice because he's got a finite set uh, studio and my legs are really long. So I only have to do like four of them. And then, <laughs> oh <laughs> my so, God. <laughs> good. Um, but yeah, it still stinks. So once we've done all the lifestyle stuff, then we move into the supplement world. Uh, you know, we talked about the top, which is the doctor stuff, but we're in supplement world. And our strategy is first and foremost, what are the five nutrients that almost everybody would benefit from? And do any of those specifically address joint health as well as their other benefits? And there are two directly. Uh, and then like, two that are like indirect. So the first is omega-3. High-dose omega-3 helps out with joint health. It helps out with heart health and lots of other things. There's studies that compare high-dose omega-3 to NSAIDs like naproxen, uh, especially as it pertains to joint health. So omega-3 is something that will not only change the inflammatory picture in your body, but it also has potentially direct uh, joint pain relief benefits in some studies. So that's good. Always do that. So we've talked about collagen, and collagen may have some direct anti-inflammatory uh, and or uh, joint health stuff, but we don't really rest our hat on that. We'll just say it's a good protein, helps build up your muscles. And in that one study, people had good results with joint health. So that those two are definitely foundational. Suboptimal vitamin D keeps coming up with COVID and everything like that. And there's, there's uh, reports that it can be tied to achiness, like a general achiness if you have suboptimal vitamin D. So that, and that's why I say bone support and, you know, if you have osteoporosis, that obviously is going to contribute to your bone health and your joint health too. So those things pretty much sort of indirectly can help out. And the probiotics can help out with your general inflammatory picture based on like what you're digesting and what you're eating. So all of that stuff together. So yeah, the vital five here, you know, it's what you want, but if you need to minimize it, what is the most effective thing? So it's omega-3 and, and protein, specifically collagen. So it's something where you do all the healthy stuff and then you start those two things and you just kind of like let it ride and see how it works. And if it works, then we're good. If not, then we need to add more things. And there are two strategies for managing joint health when it comes to supplements. There's the, I want to take something to make my joints healthier. And then I got to take something cause I'm in pain right now. And the, the pain right now thing is easy. So CBD, you know, turmeric, all things that we've talked about before, those are things that will help get rid of the, uh, the pain right away. But the other stuff that everybody always ends up, you know, somebody comes in for joint pain, they're like, I need to take glucosamine. You know, like that's the first words out of their mouth. 
And that's why it's important to like strategize and reprioritize. So mm-hmm. omega-3s actually should be the first thing out of your mouth. Collagen should be the second thing. And then after some time, maybe we can talk about glucosamine and any of the potential agents for joint health or the stuff that's marketed for that. Um, really, the, the mentality we need to have is one at a time and at the right dose, right form for enough time. And then we just say, did it work? There are so many people that come to me that have been on glucosamine for a hundred years and they have no idea why they're using it and they don't know if it helps. So it's the number one supplement that I pull away from almost everybody's regimen besides vitamin C. It's like freaking no more glucosamine. Oh, I don't feel any difference. Well, I just saved you 30 bucks a month, right? Yeah, yeah. So always, I've said it repeatedly because it works for me. mm -hmm. You will know very quickly Mm -hmm. if you need it or not. If you're not feeling any relief, then you don't need it. Right. But for me, it's like a matter of days. Well, you know, I don't want to say like a few days, but I would Mm -hmm. say- 10 days to two weeks of not taking it that I feel the difference. So that's, it's pretty easy to tell if you need it or not. Yeah. Most people will feel that same way if they stop it for a couple of days, you know, like five days to 10 days. They're like, Oh, I'm starting to notice it. So, um, so in the family, we've got glucosamine, we've got chondroitin, we've got MSM, hyaluronic acid, type two collagen, which is different than regular collagen and uh, systemic enzymes, as well as things called bioflavonoids. So all of these things are used uh, for general joint health. And there's a few that I'll just kind of shine a light on. So glucosamine, as we've talked about, I like the sulfate form seems to be the one studying in the trials. We want 1500 milligrams a day. You need to take it for at least three months before you give up on it. It doesn't have a real high success rate. Some people love it. Dana says it works for her. I actually have one patient that I've taken it away and he's like, oh my God, that sucks. I want it back. So <laughs> like I know two people that like glucosamine, but a lot of people just end up off of it. The chondroitin MSM piece is always kind of combined. And while they have roles in joint health, their success rates are really poor. Uh, I know MSM topically is really great as a lubricating agent for like your hair. So if you had MSM in like a shampoo, I'm sure that would help out or like a Mm. skin lotion. Chondroitin, uh, the opposite, if it's injected into like the intraticular space, like in, inside your joints, mm-hmm. it seems to help out a bunch. There's a prescription. It's like 4,000 bucks. Oh my uh, God. And it, it works uh, really well, but taking it orally, I don't really think you're going to get much benefit. And if you were the stuff that I've seen where those things work, it's just mega doses compared to what most people are taking. Not going to be enough. So, so in general, look for a glucosamine only and try to get those, the sulfate form high dose. Don't go for those other things. You don't really need them. Hyaluronic acid is something, same, same kind of line of thought. Are we really absorbing it at all? And is it enough to actually do something in the joints? There's a couple different proprietary formulas. I think one's called Hyal joint or something like that, that says it has higher bioavailability than others. But this is again, like if you want to try something, Sure, try it, um, but don't do it in combination with 10 different things. So the type 2 collagen is really interesting because it's not like the collagen powder that we talk about. Collagen powder, we are taking 20 grams of the stuff, you know, and it's going into a smoothie, and it's a big dose of protein. With type 2 collagen, it's like 500 milligrams. And what type 2 collagen does, uh, especially in this form, um, I'll, I'll say, say spare the nerdy stuff, but essentially what it's doing is, is you're, it's telling your body to get used to or tolerant to, um, the attacks on collagen. So if you have joint pain, the, your body might be attacking the collagen itself. So the type two collagen stops that process from happening. So mm. it's again, it's another, oh yeah, like that might be interesting. If I have some sort of injury, let me try that. 
Um, along the same lines, if I have some sort of injury, tissue damage, scar tissue, the systemic enzymes are a good option for you. That That's where you would go. And, and again, these need to be super high dosed and they need to be formulated correctly. Our product is called Myozyme. And um, so it needs to be the specific version of these things. And we've had great success with people that have like chronic back injuries and such um, truck drivers that are super uncomfortable. If they take it, it ends up being expensive. I think it's like 60 bucks a month or something like that. So it's probably one of the last things that most people would try. Um, but that's, that's an option uh, as well. So um, and again, the acute pain stuff, that's turmeric, boswellia, CBD, all of that stuff. All of that is is great. Um, it can help out. But really, what I wanted to do is just when we're talking about joint health stuff, we have these kind of compulsions based on the media, right? And like what, what our collective cultural knowledge of joint health is. It's like glucosamine. I need glucosamine. And I want you to stop that. Or I have to deal with inflammation. And, and that's not what it is. So again, to deal with joint pain, climb the pyramid. So get clean, do a clean diet, have a healthy lifestyle. That's going to reduce your body's total uh, inflammatory picture or, or make it healthier. And it's not going to, that's not going to make your joint pain worse. Okay. So you're taking care of that variable. Then look to the vital five, specifically high dose omega and protein, specifically collagen, and maybe even the probiotics and vitamin D calcium if you're a woman. And then you just let that cook for a bit. Yeah. Loop in your doctor. Hey doc, I just want to let you know I'm going to have this going on and I I have these symptoms. Uh, And if during this period while you're experimenting and you want to feel more comfortable, that's when you can use a turmeric or a CBD product or even Advil if you want. I I don't, you know, like if you want to get hooked on opioids, you can do that. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) you You can do that during this period. The important point to remember is that those things are so good at relieving pain. We we won't know if the other stuff we're doing works. So we only want to use it occasionally if it gets really bad and just see if the other stuff is actually benefiting. So that's my little advice. And then after 60 to 90 days, if you have no dramatic change by doing all of that, you're actually no worse for the wear because your diet's clean, you're exercising, you're healthier, you're doing the vital five, which helps not just joint stuff, but heart and brain and everything that we've ever talked about. And then we can consider these other joint health compounds like glucosamine, or hyaluronic acid, or type 2 collagen, or systemic enzymes. And just the or was dramatized for a specific reason. Pick one, get the right dose, try it for 60 to 90 days, and see where you're at. And if it doesn't work, stop the stupid thing. Um, A little aside, joint health and sleep are the same to me. People come to me with like 10 things. Like I had somebody that was on five different supplements for sleep the other day. And so many people do that. And they're like, Oh, I started to take this and I take this and I take this and I take this. And I'm like, does any one of them work? No, then you should not be on five. If you take one and it doesn't work, you're, you're on zero now, you know, not five. And the same thing with joint health. People end up just taking a bunch of stuff because they want to address their joint health. So, um, don't do that and just do one at a time, get more strategic about it. And that hopefully will help you manage your joint health a little bit holistically without all the nonsense. Hmm. What do you think about all that information? Sounds good. Sounds good? Yeah. I think we're done. We've got an hour on the books. I want to thank everybody for listening, tuning in. Thank you for your questions. It's been very helpful. Uh, And that's all I got. So until next time, keep listening, keep learning, and be well. Be well.